1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, good gardening and
3: thanks for having me on your show. I greatly appreciate you being there. I've been doing the garden hotline for quite a while and I just love the outdoors and that's what it's all about. So I try to share my interest and uh help you with any kind of situations or concerns or things that you have related to your landscape whether it's your lawn, whether it's your house plants. No house plants outside yet. <laughs> Even though it's going to be in the 50s, it should be fine for the temperature. But you never know when it's going to drop back down and do some damage. So don't put anything out yet that should not be outside. Garden centers are starting to get filled up with uh, new things, new plants, trees, shrubs, and things like that, roses. So keep that in mind. So there's all sorts of stuff potentially going on. But most important is what's going on in your yard or with your houseplants, so you can give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And uh, guess what? The horticultural epicenter of the world, from my perspective, though I've been to plenty of uh, botanical gardens, is our Missouri Botanical Garden, or as when I was growing up, just a block and a half away from that, for the first six years of my life uh, on Flad, uh, Shaw's Garden. So I decided to, because of how early the show is, I can't do my great gardening (laughs) or great good gardening stroll um, on Saturday morning before the show. So I went during the week. So you pull into the parking lot and you notice that there's still a lot of construction going on. I thought, uh, you know, I mean, I drive by there a lot, so I knew there still was, but I'm not exactly sure what the remaining construction is. But uh, the parking lot has those grain gardens where the water from the parking lot, from the pavement, drains into these di- sort of dips. or uh, And then the dips are filled with plant material that can take a wet soil. So they're preventing a lot of runoff from going into the stormwater intakes and things like that. And they're keeping it right on spot, and they're having all these great plants growing in these rain garden situations, several across the uh, entire parking area. And then as I you step out of your car, you see a tree of, trio of flags, and uh, they're flapping in the breeze, and one is the Missouri Botanical Garden flag, the other is the uh, State of Missouri flag, and then the United States flag. And it was just uh just it was just it was really kind of neat to see it was kind of cold i have to admit cuz a snow and ice storm was covering the ground the parking areas and things like that and uh but the staff at the botanical garden take care of making it so you can safely get if there is have been a storm you can safely get in into the Jack C Taylor Visitor Center and uh when I worked at the Botanical Garden, which was multiple years ago, we'd be out there even if uh you know the ones the people who live closest in were asked to come in. Everybody was, you know, asked to come in, of course, to try to get the grounds and the pathways and everything clear. But uh so that was uh <laughs> not that much fun back, you know, in those days. And it's not that much fun in these days. So anyway, but the Jack C. Taylor Visitor Center, you go up some steps, but there is a ramp. So you can, if you have uh, a stroller that you need to push or you need to have a you know a surface that you don't want to climb steps, there's an easy way to get up to the actual entrance. And that the ramps go, well, it's not too far. Um, maybe, oh, I don't know how far it is. But anyway. So when you step into the building, it's like four stories of glass. It's really kind of neat. And there's a video highlight going on on the left-hand side as you come in. And the video highlight shows exhibits and reminds you that not only is there Shaw's Garden or Missouri Botanical Garden, there's a Shaw Nature Reserve and there's a Sophia Sachs Butterfly House. So there's other things going on. So along with Madagascar workings there, the Botanical Garden is doing some major works in relationship to that. The video just keeps going on and changes. I mean, it's really, you you could sit there almost for multiple hours and watch and see all the different things that they're willing to show. And uh, one of the things that it does say, which kind of caught me by surprise a little bit, uh, simply was... Uh, There's over 300 varieties of plant material in the Climatron. And I knew there was a lot, but I didn't realize that there was quite that much. And uh, also inside the building, there's going to be Sassafras Restaurant, the Garden Gate Shop, and then the Member Visitor Service Center as well. And if you're not a member, which you would have a card and you just show that. They don't take cash, so you have to have some kind of debit card or credit card or something like that. And uh my first trip really to the botanical garden was in nineteen sixty when I was in sixth grade, and that was the year the Climatron opened, so I was I stepped into that and you know, I can't specifically remember what I thought, but it was just like this is absolutely unbelievable. And in the in the climatron, as I walked up and went inside, the water features are just fantastic. There's a couple different chiluli glass herons, and there's a couple different uh, chiluli glass exhibits there as well. There's the Brookings Exploration Center, which is out the back doors, and then towards the uh, if you want to head. Back in, inside and then out into the garden after you walk through the Climatron. The Climatron pathways, when I worked there, was in, I worked at the botanical garden for five years. And the fourth year, after four years in the English Woodland Garden, I decided I should go back and work in the Climatron because I had been there way back when. So the pathway seems a little bit different now than what it was when I was working there. And, I, you know, I worked there, well, put a while, several decades ago. But uh, anyway, so I stepped back outside of the Climatron and then headed towards the Gladney Ross Rose Garden. And with my final stop, I wandered around the Rose Garden and checked out the roses. And uh, with my final stop being in the Linnaean house. And the Linnaean house was uh, something, a building built by Henry Shaw so he could have some citrus, some orange trees and things like that. But now it is the potted plant heaven. There are so many different potted plants in there, various sizes of plants, but uh, it is unbelievable. So if you're into potted plants, it shows you all the different kinds that you can grow in various situations. And one thing that kind of caught me by surprise, the Schoenberg... Temperate House is still closed for renovation, so I don't know exactly how long it's been closed but it seems like it's been closed for quite a while and uh, I guess they're doing some major renovations as well so anyway that was my t- good gardening stroll at the Missouri Botanical Garden or Henry Shaw's or Shaw's Garden and it was just uh it was just nice to see the Jack C Taylor visitor center. I hadn't been in it. You know, this was my first time. So anyway, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We'll be back after these messages.
2: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX.
3: Yes, folks, we do have phone lines open 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. And Drew's producing today. So when you call in, Drew just needs your first name. He'll put it into the computer and the screen will come over to me and then I will be able to talk to you. And so again, Drew is producing. Uh, another thing, too, I have a new email address. It's mmillerdesigns.com. 22 at gmail.com. So M Miller Designs 2 at gmail.com. Let's head now over to Sue's yard. Hi, Sue. Oh, hi, Mike. You know,
4: Mike, I live in an apartment building and there is an old elm tree behind the building. And um there's been some bark, some big pieces of bark that have uh come loose from the base of this tree. Ooh. And um, also last summer I noticed a lot of sawdust area on the one side in this same area where this bark is coming off. So is this tree kind of on a slow decline, or what, what would cause that bark to come off?
3: Well, that could be several different things you know, all at once, but uh, if you're seeing the sawdust and you're seeing uh, you know, major insect problems, and an older tree is not, it's not a good sign and once the bark, you know, falls then that basically reduces the veins or the vascular system from ability to take the uh nutrients and moisture up from the root system to the top of the tree to keep it, you know, producing foliage because then that's you know then the leaves are what actually makes the food for the tree just in general. Okay. So this is not a good sign. So that can okay. be you know, overall, it's just uh, even if it was younger and it was happening, it would still be a, a disaster If big pieces of, or even any bark. And especially once it gets more than like halfway around where the bark is loose or has yeah. fallen off, then it's uh decline.
4: OK, well, there's nothing I can do about it. Um. But I sure do love the tree and um I hope it lasts a couple more years at least. So okay. Yeah, right. Well thank you. Okay.
3: Sure. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Bye. My pleasure. Yeah, there's several different kinds of insects that uh I mean they bore into it and when they're boring in that loosens the bark and then it also creates that sawdust that you you know that you're seeing. So again three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Just remember it's nice to see some warmer weather there's no getting around it but uh and especially compared to the east coast i mean some of those cities the temperatures are unbelievably cold i mean here i you know i go oh it's too cold here but as nothing like some other people are experiencing but also as temperatures rise realize that uh lots of stuff happens troubling bugs there could be some eggs hatching There could be some larva changing. The adults could emerge from hibernation, and that includes everything from scale to aphids to thrips to caterpillars to mites and uh, all kinds of different things. Microscopic, you know, the mites are really numerous colors, almost microscopic spider family members. Then there's uh, all kinds of other things going on as well. So, just keep an eye out, and you still got an opportunity or a chance. If you have a history of uh, insects on some woody plant material, you can spray a, a dormant horticultural oil, and what that does is that suffocates pretty much all the uh, bug stages. And once the buds start opening up, then you cannot use that dormant oil anymore. But there is a lightweight you know, horticultural oil that you can use, but it's just not as effective as the uh, the dormant horticultural oil because it really does a whole lot as far as controlling the amount of insects. And uh, also, this time of year, make sure you just head out into your lawn area, your garden area, and just keep an eye out for the amount of weeds because some of them you know, are st- still dormant or still in hibernation. Like the perennial weeds, they're down below the ground and – they're just waiting for a little bit maybe warmer weather and then they're going to start coming up. And the weeds are problematic from the standpoint they're more aggressive than most of the standard plants that we try to grow and more aggressive as far as like taking nutrients and moisture and other things from, let's say, your lawn or from your whatever gardens, your your perennials or your vegetable gardens or your herb garden or anything else. And some of the examples of, like, the broadleaf weeds include dandelions, violets, chickweed, spurge. And then there's some skinnier ones, too, like crabgrass, wild onions, garlic, goosegrass, sedges. So there's all kinds of stuff that's just waiting. Some of it's already growing and has spent months growing. Like, I continue each week to mention the uh, cool season annual weeds they've still got another month or two to keep going. And what they do is they just grow and then they flower and then they produce seed and those seeds drop and those seeds are just, they're dormant. And consequently, the only way to really get them under control is for the cool season weeds is to put down a pre-emergent in August. But we've got another thing coming up real soon and that's going to be the warm season annual weeds and so that's when the pre-emergent for those go down. That's when, guess what, the yellow forsythia is in bloom. So just keep that in mind as well, that lots of things can, and the work that you can do or you know, the action that you can take can certainly make it a little bit easier for the plant material just overall. This is a good time of year to, you know, to step out into your landscape on days like this when the temperature, even though the wind is blowing, the temperatures is going to be pretty, pretty nice. There's no getting around it. And just see is how the everything looks just from an aesthetic standpoint. Do you need to be thinking about uh, a tree that's overhanging your house, or do you need to th- be thinking about? I need to, you know, I want to block a view of whatever it happens to be. Do, should I use some shrubs, or should I use a fence? What should I use here? And, you know, what can I do? I want to add a new bed space so I can grow some cut flowers or I can grow some uh, edibles or whatever it is. How much, you know, how much, let's say, soil improvement do you need to do? You need to pretty much pretty about every hundred square feet for improving our clay soils just in general. About – one-and-a-half or so cubic yards of uh, compost amendments, and that will elevate the bed space, and that will make it much easier to uh, have new plant materials have a good chance of starting. And even this time of year, you don't think about uh, leaves, but if you still, you know, if you from your own yard or from neighbor's yards or just from wherever start to, you know, if there's still leaf debris Laying on your lawn or in your bed spaces, go out there and rake that away. And what that does is, if you don't do it, then that creates a potential fungus problem. And fungus problems in this area in our region are really disastrous because of uh, just we're in a sort of in zones where uh, fungus is (laughs) once it gets a foothold. Into your, you know, your lawn or your perennials or any what anything, it's really disastrous for the plant material. So, also head out if you have any kind of ornamental grasses, and go ahead and maybe put a some kind of a something around them, and then go ahead and cut them down. Depending upon the variety, any place between two feet, two inches and 6 or 8 to 10 inches. The bigger ones are the ones that you let more. And realize that most of the perennial grasses are clump growers. So, in other words, the center of the plant will finally not produce any more foliage in the future. You only get new foliage on the perimeter, and that's what's going to be happening. So it's going to migrate away from where it originally was. And if you have a clump that's uh, been there for several years, you might think about, A little bit uh, not right now necessarily. Probably wait for another couple weeks and just dig it up. Chop out the center that uh, is no longer productive. And then, you know, the perimeter is where the new growth is going to begin. And then replant the perimeter. So Anyway, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will be back after these messages.
2: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Keep in mind that
3: this is a good time of year to have tree services come out if you have large trees and you're not sure of the overall health, like the lady that called and said this elm tree is having these kind of problems. Now, she was in an apartment building, so she wouldn't be probably taking or wanting to be paying somebody to come out and take a look at it. But uh, it's an unfortunate thing. But if you have some trees in your landscape have the tree services come out and do an evaluation because this is the perfect time of year, especially for the deciduous trees because the branching and every, the intersections and everything else are exposed and they can really take a good look. And then some trees, you know, just like with that elm, maybe that elm doesn't need to come out right now, but there are trees that do need to come out and there are tree services that are working right now. I've seen, you know, throughout the entire metropolitan area, trees that have been removed. And tree services are not going to remove them just for the sake of removing them. They're going to remove them because the overall health or potential damage or things along that line. And so let's head over now to Bunny's yard. Hi, Bunny.
4: I've got a problem with it. It looks like a fungus. It's white. And patches of it, where my shrubs and flowers are. If you looked at it right now, it looks like snow. But, you know, when when it's a little warmer, it'll look like a big fungus. And now I see it under my um,
3: mom plant. So so you're saying... I don't know what I should do. I mean, I don't know. So basically, I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. But uh, what you could probably do is maybe it's just because of a moisture factor is just, you know, take a, a rake or something and just rake. You're talking about it's growing on your compost or your mulch or something like that, correct? Yes. Yeah. And just kind of rake it up a little bit. So, another, I mean, it's not really a good sign. There's no, I mean, to try to spray a fungicide on it is not going to be really all no. that effective. So, okay. just just to I didn't know if I should it cover
4: up. it with mulch, or? no, no,
3: no, no, don't do that because that's Wait, just
4: turn it over or what, but rake it out yeah, and just, yeah, just,
3: just rake it up so you can kind of like get some more air circulation where it's you know built up, and also okay. in okay. The future, in the future, don't you know make sure your mulch doesn't get too deep, and then buy- again, buy mulch from a place that you know is concerned about what they're selling you and what they're providing for, you know, all the gardeners. Because sometimes the product can, if you've just put mulch down recently, then it's not going to be treated and, or if it hasn't been treated, then you can get these problems coming in with the mulch as opposed to being inherently in your landscape.
4: Well, I have a problem because we have a lawn service that does all that. Oh. You know, they don't tell you what they're using, but I don't notice it in other properties. I just notice it. My, no, I don't go up and look, right? You know, you'd have to go up to their lawn and look at it all, but it I don't know. i But I have the problem, and I didn't know, but I don't know what they use. I don't think it's too deep. But I don't know where they get
3: it, right. you know, their mulch. Well, I would tell them, I mean, you've gotten this, you know, has this problem been going on for... A while. Yeah. So I would say, you know, talk to them about where they're getting their product and tell them... And maybe I should concerned. get my own. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you have to spread it or have somebody spread it for you. But yes. Yeah, I know.
4: I yeah okay I I will tell them but are they're probably they're gonna say you're the only one that's ever said anything oh but I like your idea about just raking it off now
3: yeah just rake it and just kind of stir okay. it around a little bit and okay that, I can do that that will you know take care <laughs> or help your problem but
4: don't ever put mulch over it
3: no okay that's, that's not I'm what glad you, you, want you told me do. that right. Okay, thank you very much. Certainly, my pleasure. And from the outdoors, let's go inside. The days are getting longer, so consequently, your houseplants are going, ah, maybe I'll start growing. As soon as you start to see some new growth on your houseplants, that's a good time to fertilize. And when you fertilize, do it at half the label rate, because putting more down than what is really needed it's not really to the advantage of the plant material. So just realize that, you know, you think, well, fertilizing is food and food and food, and you don't need a whole lot of food. You just need food in the correct amounts, just like with anything. So half a label, you know, whatever, if it says one teaspoon per gallon or whatever the, the label rate says, just do it, you know, half that amount. And with your houseplants too, if you want to re, repot, Make sure that you really need to do that. It doesn't really help the plants in general just to pot them up into a larger pot. And when we're talking about uh, potting, you know, repotting, you you really don't want to get a pot any larger than one to two inches bigger than the current pot that they're growing in. And just watch out for bugs on the soil, in the soil, foliage, stems, and hovering around the plant material like uh, gnats and things like that. And then, you know, figure out what it is. If you can't figure it out, just go to your favorite garden center and let them know that what you have, and then they'll let you know the best product to get it under control is going to be. So that's, and as I said before, the garden centers are really going to start filling up with a lot of really great plant material. And right now they have all kinds of, a Bulbs, bulbs like summertime, you know, summertime bulbs. They have amaryllis, of course. They have seed packets, and they're going to start to carry plant material too. But they're going to have bird seed. They're going to have dry goods, hand tools. They're going to have bald and burlap trees and shrubs coming in real soon. And then pretty, you know, pretty probably in the next, uh, oh, I would say within a month or so, you're going to start to see the cool season annuals coming in. So be it the the pansies is the one that's probably the most prominent. But then you're going to see some also this this time of year, many of the garden centers are going to have bare root perennials. And if you've got the bed space ready, then you can go ahead and plant some bare root perennials and then have some really good growth. They're also going to have some... uh, animal repellents, wildlife traps, and then they're going to have some of them carry various equipments for uh, things in your yard that, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily talking about mowers, but uh, just equipment like uh, chainsaws. Do you need a chainsaw? To be honest with you, I never have had a chainsaw myself. Anything that I need to have cut down, I cut either myself or if it's too big and I'm, let's say, too lazy or whatever, then I just have a professional service come out and do it. But some of the, uh, again, going back to some of the lawn funguses, they're going to really start taking off real soon with this, you you know, with the crazy weather that we're having. Fusarium patch, which is like pink snow mold, and what that does is you can notice it, by just sort of dead spots and dead patches that are white to bright or pale pink, and the mold actually covers the grass blades. So there's also uh, that was a pink one, and the, there's another one called gray snow mold. As the snow melts around, you'll see some grayish kind of t- to straw. You know, it'll turn your foliage, your blades on your lawn to a straw colored and uh, two-inch circles. And that's a good way to realize of what's you know going on. And uh, there's all kinds of other things potentially in your lawn area. So 314-436-7900 or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty 925 1120 Back after these messages. Okay. We've got other problems, and those problems just... Echo throughout the entire system. If you live in an area where you have deer, I mean, it's still wintertime and the deer could do some damage. But uh, some of the plant materials that are more, let's say, less appealing to the deer, the ginkgo trees, the oak leaf hydrangeas, the gold thread branch cypress, the hawthorns, American holly, junipers, paper bark birch trees, leukothea. Rosa Sharon, Blue Spruce, Hypericum, Witch Hazel, Vitex, those are all bad situations as far as bad situations as far as when the deer come, they go, I don't think I'm going to. But if it's a severe winter circumstance, no plant is safe. I don't think we've had anything that's been quite that bad yet. So should we give another try? Okay, let's Hello, Sam, are you there?
5: Yeah, yeah. Hey, Mike, I'm here. Okay. Um, I just had a, so we have a, like a azalea that's about three foot tall. Mm-hmm. Um, what's What's the best time to like cut it back, I mean prune it or cut it down? Not down, but prune it back, and then um, how short can you go that it won't? So what month to cut it, and and how short so you don't kill it?
3: Well, yeah. <laughs> Well, basically, you should just leave it alone. That would be the ideal thing. I don't know exactly why you th- feel that you need to prune it, but if you do need, well,
5: to... we have a ring, a ring doorbell, and it, the, the azalea one. It kind of blocks the, oh. it kind of blocks the view of the camera a little bit. Right. So we're wanting to try to shorten it.
3: Yeah, I, you know, in essence, what I would maybe even consider. We're getting into the time of year where you could actually transplant it, but if you want to leave oh, okay. it where it is. In the location, the pruning should be done after it finishes flowering, and then don't take okay. it. Don't take any more than like twenty uh, percent off. Okay. And so you, yeah, that it's going to be a constant circumstance where it's sure. going to grow again and be robust and sure. So, so I mean, I would give some good consideration about transplanting.
5: Okay. Yeah, it's been in its spot for twenty years, so. Oh. Um, it's, it's got a pretty good size little trunk on it, right? (laughs) But, uh, okay. So after, after full bloom and only 20%. Yeah. Okay. Perfect.
3: All right. Good luck.
5: Appreciate the help.
3: Sure. My pleasure.
0: All right. All right. Take care. Yes. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue.
6: All right. Thanks. Bye.
3: Yeah. Let's see. Where should we head? Oh, okay. Let's head over to Richard. Richard's yard. Hi, Richard. Hey, Mike. Yes.
7: Um, question for you. What do you... Um, this is a strange question, but I've asked them before. Um, what... Let me explain, first of all, uh, the I used to have a buddy of mine who, whose dog I would walk, and I would carry a shovel along, you know, in the back of the truck. And when the dog would defecate, I would take the um, the dog defecant and um, bury it, you a know, close by a tree or. Anywhere um, I did this for a long period of time and um, uh, all times of the year and um, my question is this what what does the um, the dog do do to the tree or to the burying Uh, of the dog because every I live in South St. Louis, everybody around here has got dogs, right?
8: They, they
7: pick up the dog, do they're very good about that, but they always put it in plastic bags and they put it in the trash. So that's my question for you. What does um, burying the dog do, do as opposed to, Picking it up with plastic.
3: There is absolutely no advantage to, to putting any kind of dog manure, any kind of general or cat manure or anything else in, in, in close proximity to plants because it doesn't do anything. I mean, it's not even cow manure, fresh cow manure or horse manure or any of that kind of stuff. It really has to be, let's say, processed. In other words, cooked before it's going to be to the advantage. So something raw like that, and especially with, you know, the manures from domestic pets, it's not to the advantage of the plant material whatsoever.
7: My question is, is it to the disadvantage? Uh,
3: It's probably not necessarily going to be to the disadvantage. It's just not going to help. It's just, you know, it's extra work on your part to do that as opposed to just picking it up and throwing it in the trash.
7: It actually took less time to um, bury this stuff than it did to pick it up. <laughs> wow! You know, it 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 it, it was done in um, in less than thirty seconds.
3: You know, again, it's really just it doesn't really help the plant material whatsoever, and I'm not, it, you know, I'm sure that. A, you know, I just can't think of what it is as far as the dis- disadvantage. I know, like dog urine and things like that. What happens with that? And my probably my assumption is that maybe the manure has the same kind of you know qualities as with the urine. It has too high of a nitrogen content, and then consequently that causes detrimental circumstances for plant material wherever dogs you know urinate. And my thinking is probably the manure may have the same impact. In other words, too much nitrogen, and it's not going to be good for the plant material. It's going to be in too much nitrogen is bad for root systems.
7: All right. Thank you very much for your help. Sure. My pleasure.
3: And I don't know if we can get, Matt, can you do it kind of quick?
9: Sure, Mike. Thank you very much. Sure. Uh, I listen to your show every Saturday. So, uh, quick question about a Japanese maple. Uh, my backyard is full sun. No other trees back there. I like the looks of the Japanese maple, not the umbrella one, the tree one. Right. So just two, two quick questions. Is that going to be something that's going to be okay in full sun? And if so, is this spring a good time to plant that tree?
3: Yeah, I mean, the spring's going to be a good time to plant it. I mean, there's several different varieties of the type you want. Uh, Bloodgood is one of them. And uh, you're looking at a tree that's going to get uh, around 15 feet high maximum, and depending upon which variety you get, it's going to determine you know the spread. But yeah, these are not the umbrella types. This is just a regular, let's say, tree with uh, maroon colored leaves.
9: Right. And full sun's going to be okay.
3: Yeah, they don't care about full sun.
9: Oh, well, that's wonderful. Thank you for that information.
3: Sure, my pleasure. All right. Thanks. Yep. And just make sure, and this is for anybody, when you plant your Japanese maple, get the, realize that uh, whatever size you get, the whole diameter that you're going to be putting it in is going to be three times the root ball of the plant when you buy it. And also, remember, always plant or dig the whole depth where 20% of the root ball top is going to be above the surrounding ground. So that's really crucial and very, very important because you don't want to plant it right at grade because it may settle and sink. And then consequently, when that happens, water is going to sit there and cause potential damage to the root system. So just planting properly after you select the variety and get the plant material is really Extremely important. There's no getting around it. So we're going to have another hour of the show. So if you do have any questions or concerns, Jim, we're not going to be able to get to you until after the news. But 314-436-7900 or Mm 1-800-925-1120.
2: Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the Voice of St. Louis KMOX.
3: Thank you, Scott, and welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. It's the tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving you the tip of the trial in just a few seconds. So, lots of stuff going on. Drew again is producing. He had a lot of engineering things to take care of in the last hour, but it sounds like he's gotten everything taken care of and shows you the skill the producers have. So when you do call, Drew just needs your first name, and uh, that's pretty much it. Then I will talk to you. He'll put you up on the caller screen, and we'll just kind of go from there. And why don't we – Jim's been hanging on, so why don't we take Jim and uh, go ahead and uh, see what's going on in his – plant material world. Hi, Jim.
10: Hi, good morning, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. We have a rear corner section of our yard that we're wanting to screen up a little bit uh, to uh, uh, for kind of like a little privacy thing, but we don't want to do fences. And we know our are an option. Can you recommend something else that'll do eight to 10 feet tall?
3: Uh, well, there's, I mean, there's its cousin, which are the junipers, some, okay. some of the other trees, some of the other conifers, the problem with them just kind of in general is they're generally pretty slow growing, the ones that will stay about that size. So that's kind of what you're looking at. I mean, there are some varieties of the broadleaf evergreen magnolias that you might consider. And oh, okay. just, you know, go online and find out uh, which varieties are go to your favorite garden center. Which varieties are going to be the smaller ones? Because some of them get much larger than what you're talking about. So, I mean. Well, we
10: could, you know, we could go ahead and handle maybe up to 15 feet. But, right. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we don't want uh, much anything taller than that.
3: Right. And uh, so now how this location, is this low? Is it wet? Is it, you know, high? Is it dry? Is it?
10: right? Well, it's fairly level and, and would, would have. Probably, oh, I'm, I'm thinking at least eight hours full sun.
3: Right. So I would think probably looking at some of the varieties of upright junipers, and, I mean, it's going to give you the same kind of look that the arborvitae does, but uh, some of the upright junipers, will can you can get them with the needles, have a bluish cast to them, so they don't necessarily look dark green like the arborvitae do necessarily. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And thanks, Jim. And if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And just a reminder, I've changed my email address. It's mmillerdesigns22 at gmail.com. So I've had to make some changes with that type thing. And the tip of the trowel goes out to all the people when this all this nutty, icy stuff, even though it wasn't a huge amount, it was still, like, problematic. So all the people that were out there working to make walkways, to make drives, to make roadways, everything much safer for all the rest of us. And it's really kind of, you know, amazing how much work there was. As I talked about with my Good Gardening stroll, being at the Botanical Garden, there was some of the staff there that were actually out with snow shovels scraping some of the areas to try to just scrape some of the layers of the ice down. They didn't want to put a whole, they don't use a whole lot of uh, de-icer because it can be detrimental to plant material. And just realize that if you do do de-icer, the areas where it's going to run off your hardscapes, you're better off to put some gypsum in that spot because it's going to help absorb the the sort of the sodium, the salty qualities of the de-icer, and then prevent it from doing plant material damage because that can be really detrimental. So, And then also if you decide not to do it, and there's no obvious plant material damage immediately, just know that the soil pH for your lawns, it needs to be not alkaline, it needs to be acidic. And so even in your lawn areas where, where there may be runoff of uh icer it could be what it's going to do is going to change the soil pH and that could change the the ability of your lawn to look as healthy as possible. So always just kind of keep that you know that in mind. So in all the people, you know, in the big trucks and everything else it was just amazing how much stuff was going on. And <laughs> to be honest with you I have a black car and my car almost looks silver now because it's got so much de-icer sprayed on it. But uh, it was just, uh, I you know, I I look and I compare it to what we had to what some of the East Coast places have had, and it, I mean we're nothing compared to that. But still, it's it can be a real nightmare as far as you know, with your any kind of vehicle or just you know just walking. So just if we have you know more ice coming in the next month or so in february because there is i mean this is still winter time just be real careful and just be real cautious and let's why don't we uh go ahead and take a call before we go to break let's go over to Tom's hi tom
11: uh good morning mike how you doing very good Hey, I got a quick question for you. How do you keep bagworms off of uh, arborvitaes and uh, green giants?
3: You can't really keep them off.
11: Yeah, I I pick them, yeah, but they keep coming back.
3: Right. I mean, they're basically, what those bags are, are just, that's full of eggs. There was a female bagworm in there, and the female is dead after she lays the eggs. The male is a flighted moth. And so once they're in that location, then he comes and impregnates the female. The female has, you know, formed the bag, and then consequently, then she lays the eggs in the bag, then dies. And then, you know, then what happens is those eggs hatch, and then it it could have any place between, let's say, just a a few, meaning not a few-few, but... uh, you know, not a hundred of them, but there is going to be several bag worms coming out that are going to be really small. They're going to creep along the the branch that uh, where they the, where they were born, and then they're going to start building their bags. If they were a female, and then the males have already moved on to becoming a you know flighted moth type thing. So there is not really anything you can do to, to you know to stop the bag worms from occurring.
10: Just try to make sure you pick every one of them off.
3: Yeah, that's an unfortunate <laughs> thing.
10: <laughs> okay,
5: but, thank I mean, you, Al.
3: If you see if you see them when they're in the crawling stage, insecticides will work. I mean, it is okay. effective. But if you and you, you got to spray it directly on them. But if other than that, there's not too much else you can do.
11: Okay, I'll just keep checking and pulling them off when yeah. I see them. Thank you very right. much.
3: Yeah. Uh, growing up in Ellsville, we uh, from. Uh, down on Flat by the Botanical Garden, my parents moved to Ellisville, and we had junipers as foundation plants, and we had bagworms, and it was unbelievable all the years until my father finally took the junipers out. We had okay. bagworms constantly.
5: Okay. All right. Well, thanks for your expertise.
2: I appreciate it.
3: Sure. My pleasure. Mike Miller, Morris Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
2: With Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX.
3: For the best results of an application of any kind of chemical into your landscape, whether it's an organic, inorganic, liquid, or granular, always read the label first. Read it before you even open the bag, open the bottle, or anything else so you understand exactly what you need to do and follow those directions. Don't think that, well, if this amount is going to help, then if I doubled it, it's going to really work much better. No. Sometimes it takes several applications of a product to get something, the end results. And this applies to anything, including like insecticides, fungicides, fertilizers, repellents, or anything at all that's a chemical that you're adding into your landscape. Let's head now over to Kurt's yard. Hi, Kurt
12: morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I have uh, two questions. Uh, west, west facing uh, house, uh, two brick planter boxes that extend off the front of the house have put Alberta spruce in the area. Uh, it gets to be kind of warm back there and they haven't done well. I'm assuming it's they don't handle that heat against the brick. What do you think?
3: That could certainly be the case.
12: So maybe a recommendation as to what uh, you'd like something similar in terms of size, width, and height to put there, slow-growing, you know, fill up the gap between the tall windows. Anything you might recommend that might do better.
3: That You know, that's kind of a really a tough circumstance. Architecturally, those kind of planter boxes were done from an aesthetic standpoint, not from a plant, you know, plant standpoint. So there's really uh, maybe consider getting uh, an ornamental-type trellis and placing it in there and then growing some vines on the trellis as opposed to trying to grow a woody plant material.
12: Great idea. Thanks. Second question, uh, moved uh, up near St. Louis from southern Missouri, had some beautiful magnolia trees down there, uh, considering putting one in the yard now. Should I just wait till fall, or can I get by doing it this spring?
3: No, you can plant... The only disadvantage of planting in the springtime is the ground is cold, and it just uh, the plant material that you've installed, the root system, while the ground is cold, is not going to do any kind of growth whatsoever. So it may take it a little while to get itself established. But, no, you can plant in the uh, fall is by far the best, but you can plant in the spring.
12: I heard what you said earlier about the uh, keeping the top of the root ball out of the ground.
3: Right, above. Whole,
12: yeah, I had not, not heard that, and I'm glad I heard that this morning, and then also the size of the hole that you're going to put the ball in. Right. Uh, that as well. So I appreciate those comments, and uh, appreciate your show. It's great to listen to. Thanks so much.
3: Well, great. Well, thank you. Greatly appreciate it. And if you weren't there, I would not be here. And now let's head over to Terry's yard. Hi, Terry. Hi. Good morning. Hi.
11: Hey,
9: I have a uh, tree question and an asparagus question. Um, Is now a good time to trim um, pin oak branches and also branches from, like, ornamental
3: trees? Uh, If the ornamental trees are flowering-type trees, if you prune them now, then you're going to eliminate any kind of flowering for this spring. So that's sort of the disadvantage of that. With the pin oaks and the oak trees and maples and things like that, they're basically shade trees. You can certainly, you know, doing the pruning – Maples, you're better off to wait until summertime because of the sap flow this time of year. But uh, pretty much a pin oak or something along that line, you should have no problems pruning it at all.
9: I didn't know if the temperatures getting into the 50s for the next few days would uh, increase sap flow and that would affect the branches or not.
3: No, increase, you know, one or two days or some is not going to make that much difference. And so... Okay. And... Go ahead and get them, you know, if you need to get them pruned, go ahead and get it pruned.
9: Okay, next question on asparagus.
3: When do we mow those down or
9: trim them down? My father-in-law, an old farmer, after he'd finished with his asparagus, he'd take his mower and just mow over it.
3: <laughs>
9: <laughs> and, you know, and, but our plants, I mean, they're still, they're brown and they're still up in the garden. I don't know when to trim those.
3: You can cut them, you know, cut them back any time because those brown ones are not going to do anything. It's a root system that's below ground. That's where the new growth is going to come.
9: So, like, in the fall, uh, whenever we're taking our garden down, it's it's okay to just go ahead and mow the asparagus plants down then? Yeah, you can do it then.
3: Okay, great. Thanks, just, thanks a lot. Appreciate you know, your help. Sure, and just, you know, make sure that they're already starting to head into dormancy. So as long as they're okay. green, they're still viable, and that viability helps build up the root system, and that helps build up the, the asparagus colony. Great. Good to know. Thanks a lot, Mike. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's head over to Corey's. Hi, Corey.
13: Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hi. Hey, I had a question. Our, we saw our neighbors were mulching a few weeks ago. Is mm-hmm. it too early to mulch uh
3: No, it really isn't.
13: Okay, and then we have 2 years of mulch on our beds now. Should we take some of that off before we start mulching or
3: Well, in reality it's not how old it is, it's how deep it is. So I would say if the mulch is there and it's existing and it's in good shape and I would just leave it. And that you don't necessarily have to add mulch every year. That's not to the advantage except unless you want to build up your biceps or something along that line.
13: Well, we just think it looks better with a fresh layer of mulch over it.
3: So then that's, you know, around trees and shrubs, you don't want it any deeper than like three to four inches. And around perennials and things along that line, you don't want it any deeper than one to two inches. So if you have to pull some of the old mulch off so it doesn't get too thick or deep, then that's what you're going to need to do.
13: Okay, and then we were going to do a ground test. How how much of a plug of dirt should we have for the ground test? Two, three, four inches?
3: Uh, basically, what you want to do is if it's – is it for garden space or is it for lawn?
13: Lawn.
3: Okay. Then if front yard's got to be a separate test than the backyard. And what you want to do is like from six or seven different uh, locations in your lawn area – you want to cut the, you know, go below where the grass root systems are, the grass blades, and get a scoop of like an ice cream scoop of soil, and you want to make it so you're going to end up with a ziploc bag, pretty much full of of soil from multiple locations.
13: Okay, and then I wanted to tell you we have a bluebird, and our bluebird has been coming to our house for probably. Three years now, wow, and it comes to our windows and looks in, and I have pictures of it, but last year it brought its baby to the window, huh. and I thought that was so cute, but it comes every year, it's outside right now, and it comes every morning, and it just looks in our windows and it will follow us if we're in the kitchen or bedroom, it'll fly around to that window. oh, you're kidding, no, wow, I just. I think that's amazing. We're going to be sad when it doesn't come anymore.:
3: <laughs> I agree. That's, that's kind of phenomenal. A lot of times, yeah. and you know people have called in uh, in the past saying the birds are coming up to the windows to see their reflection, because they't you know they're a bit confused or whatever it happens to be. But I've never heard them you know flying around to another window because that's where they think you're walking to.
13: Yeah, it's, it comes, if it doesn't see us at the back door window, it comes around and finds us. i just amazed, but it does not fly away when I go out to fill my bird feeders. It stays right there. <laughs> and all the other birds go.
3: Yes, right. <laughs> well, that's amazing.
13: Well, thanks for your show. We really appreciate it. Sure,
3: my pleasure. Thanks. Bye. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, and Linda, will get to you as soon as we come back from break.
2: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, we have
3: some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Hi, Mike. Hi.
14: Sorry, I thought that was going to last a little bit longer, uh, your break. But anyway, um, I had called you way earlier, I guess, in the fall about some lantanas that I was trying to keep down the basement. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to give like a suggestion to people. I got these at a nursery. The man gave the nursery owner gave them to me because they they were donated for um, a public garden space in a county garden that my garden club made. But They really look dead. I have eight of them, but seven of the eight are actually showing life. One of them actually is blooming right now. I mean, they don't, you know, they're not full like normal. Right. But these were just ones that looked like you buy them in early in spring. They had not developed. I guess he got them later on in the season and he just wanted to get rid of them. But, you know, just a heads up to be patient, (laughs) patient with plants because, I was ready to get rid of all of them. They looked most of them looked dead. Maybe <laughs> a couple of them were fine, but they're all coming out, just little green shoots and except for the one. And the other thing is I wanted to ask, is it good to put like fresh compost on our vegetable garden plants? Our garden is a raised bed mostly made of compost. We have some dirt in there, but um to save some of the St. Louis composting you know, material to put on as the season progresses along with, you know, some plant, like our tomatoes, we will put some new tomato fertilizer, you know, specific for tomatoes on, but right. is that good to do
3: both? I would probably not just put straight compost. I wouldn't get like that topsoil compost blend and use that as opposed to just adding more compost, especially oh, this- since the majority you have said is compost. Because compost is good, but also if you've had great luck and good luck with doing what you're, you know, you're speaking of and currently doing, then go ahead and stick with it. But it's not really, at you know, it's not to the advantage of the vegetables and everything you're trying to grow because of the root system, you know, stability and things along that line. Oh,
14: okay. Does St. Louis composting have
3: that? Blend? Yeah, they have a blend. Oh,
14: okay. Okay, then we could get a bag of that or something. Right. Okay, great. Thank you very much.
3: Sure, my pleasure. And we do have phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is a time of year where, you know, it's going to be really warm. It was really pretty darn cold. And when the, the soil here freezes and then when a soil thaws like in this you know this period what happens is the younger plants that have been installed installed whether they're perennials or woody plant materials that freezing and thawing really can kind of do some damage to the you know to the root systems and especially the if the root systems are exposed they can be killed by this and that freezing and thawing is just like ripping and tearing out of it so things like uh Shallow-rooted uh, perennials, chrysanthemums, shasta daisies, some of the small bulbs such as crocus can, with this freezing and thawing cycle, experience some damage. And uh, so just kind of keep that in mind. If you haven't really been, you know, happy with the results, maybe think about doing something else as far as what you're trying to grow. Just So keep that in mind. And as I said before... Uh, For the warm season, you know, annual weeds were coming up to the time when the pre-emergent should go down. And what uh, the pre-emergent is, what it does is it basically kills seeds as they germinate. So, yes, it will kill weed seeds, but it will kill any other type of seeds too that you might have in that area. So just keep that in mind that both, you know, It kills seeds. It doesn't care what type of seeds. It creates a chemical barrier on the surface. Let's head over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim.
7: Put in a herb garden, and someone said that putting coffee grounds and on uh, mix it in with the uh, soil will um, help the soil. Is that correct?
3: Well, it does help a little bit, but it's not really going to help all that much. I mean, it is organic. And the coffee grounds do help with the drainage and things along that line. But I wouldn't just, you know, necessarily use coffee grounds. I would use some other materials as well. Now, with the herbs, you want to make sure that you don't make the soil too rich. You want to make sure the soil is going to be well-drained. So the coffee grounds help from that standpoint. But just, you know, let's say a coffee pot worth of grounds – uh, you know, every even every day is going to take forever before it's going to really do very much good at all. Okay, thanks. Anyhow, sure. I mean, I I mean it works, but it just doesn't do all that much. Let's now head over to Eric's. Hi, Eric.
8: Happy Saturday, Mike. Same um, to you. I have a raised garden, and you know, the talking about um, killing the perennial weeds that come through. Because I definitely have my my struggle. For my lawn, I would use weed and feed. Should I use the same material for my gardens to try and kill some of the warm weather ones? Or should I look at something else to put in the garden?
3: Well, it just depends. Uh What do you have growing in there now?
8: Uh, well, gosh. I went through in December and tried to kill out a lot of it. But, you know, are you talking about vegetable-wise or weed-wise? Just well, make sure.
3: basically... Just real, you know, read the product that you're thinking. Weed and feed would certainly help, you know, control it, especially if the vegetables and things that you're growing in this space are not perennial-type vegetables and because that could do some damage to them.
8: Yeah. No, every, everything is like, you know, tomatoes okay. and green beans and stuff like that that I go and have to seed and uh, buy already pre, pre-started ones. But right. That's, you know, yeah, so I was like, okay, well, you know, Wait for the uh, for Scythia to bloom. I could put it in the garden, kill some stuff early because I'm probably not going to plant for, like, another month after that. Right. I think that's – that, so, in theory, it would all work out, but I just didn't know if the, the garden stuff was also – the not the garden, the grass, you know, green yard stuff is what you would use for a vegetable garden.
3: Yeah, I mean, or else you could use one of the pre-emergence, too, because that's going to take care of if the real problem is from – an annual weed standpoint as opposed to a perennial weed standpoint.
8: Oh, okay. Okay. What's uh what's the brand I could I could look for? Well, just, just look,
3: uh, you know, go to your favorite garden center and tell them because every I'm not saying every store is going to have a different one, but just what your know, your favorite garden center has as far as for a pre-emergent is, per, a, is Perennial a nice pre-emergent.
8: Thing. Okay. Right. Perfect. And then it that's specific for that and that should work out great. Yeah. Thank you so much.
3: Okay, great. And let's see, where should we go now? Let's go over to Russell's. Hi, Russell.
11: Yeah, how are you doing there, Mike? Um, I'm first time caller here. Listen for years and appreciate all your help. I have a zoysia yard, um, and I've spent oh, I've lived in that uh, probably 36 years here, and it's always looked great. But the last couple of years, I've had a couple large areas of die off, maybe 20 by 20 feet, in a couple of different spots. And I was wondering uh, if you could give me any insight how I could regenerate those areas uh, and what may have caused it.
3: Uh, It's probably, you know, it's it's a little tough to tell without actually seeing it. But uh, it sounds like uh, it's an age factor as much as anything else. I'm assuming that you've been fertilizing and taking care of and doing everything that you needed to do over the years.
11: Well, unfortunately, I haven't done as much as I could uh, because it's always looked so good, right? And uh, it's—I'm you know, so kind of like if it's not broke, don't fix it, sort of thing, especially <laughs> with the zoysia because the zoysia seems to crawl everywhere, right? Um, and I was wondering, will it will it regenerate those areas by moving back into them, or
3: what no, do you think? It won't. So you're basically going to have to, let's say, turn those areas over, add some compost to them, and get some more zoysia sod or plugs. Or take plugs mm-hmm. out of your existing lawn.
11: Okay, yeah, uh, that's how I actually got the yard in the first place. It was uh, it was a pretty bad yard, but then we we got some zoysia plugs put it in there, and then over time it filled in real nice. Right. Um. So I need to rake all that out and uh, get some get some topsoil in there a little bit.
3: Right. Some topsoil, yeah. compost mix, and work that into the ground.
11: Okay. Okay. And then I can replug uh, or do some sod. Right. Do they ever do any seed? That sort of thing on the your lawn? Or no, not really. Drafted, I mean, so. seed
3: is not really all that viable as okay. far in this region. They may be doing yeah. seed in the south or something, but not here. Okay.
11: All righty. Well, I appreciate it, Mike.
3: Sure. My pleasure. Enjoy. Right. Thanks for your help. Yep. Yeah, that's unfortunate when you get major areas or, you know, plots where everything just kind of... Whoosh, and it's, it can be a combination of weather. It can be a combination of all kinds of different things, as well as just aging. I mean, you don't think about lawns getting old, but they do. I mean, of plants are plants, and they have a, I don't want to say a limited life. And sometimes they have lives longer than others, And uh, depending upon the situation and scenario. But uh, now let's head over to Kirk's. Hi, Kirk. Hi, Mike. Hi.
10: I've got uh, English ivy growing up two sycamores. They're like 30-inch trees, and it's been there for years. I've tried to get it off before. Uh, the root system around the tree is super thick. Can I uh, spray that, uh, bruise it and spray it or without damaging the tree?
3: Uh, yeah, but I would watch out about bruising it. I mean, you have to understand... And you just want it off the tree because you don't like it?
10: Well, I don't want it to kill the tree, I thought, because uh, it's kind of surrounding it.
4: But
3: well, if it's okay, I'll just leave it. Yeah, it doesn't do anything. It's not to the detriment of the tree at all. The only time it becomes problematic is once it grows up the trunk and then starts going out over in, over onto the branches and then gets to the branch areas where there's leaves, it can prevent... Uh, you know, the tree leaves from forming, that's where it's trouble. But other than that, just uh, ivy growing up trunks of trees is not a detrimental problem whatsoever.
8: Oh, well, great. I'll, I'll just leave it then. Thank
3: you. Right. Good luck with that. And, uh, yeah, sometimes it's a lot easier to leave something, especially if you've been battling it for a while. But, uh, yeah, if I mean, uh, so just enjoy it. Now let's head over to, uh, let's go over to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike.
10: Hey, Mike, how you doing? Good. I've got a the property drains in the back, and I've got laterals that run out there that kind of taper down in the yard, and it's always soupy in that area. I was wondering if there's any kind of plant you can put on the top of there that would suck, you know what I mean, that water up a little more. Uh,
3: that,
10: grass, that grass.
3: Yeah, so... Um, Really, there's there are plenty of plants, you know, perennial-wise. If you want to have some perennials, there's trees, there's shrubs, all kinds of things like that. But they're not really going to sort of like blend them with your lawn and just be able to soak up the moisture from your soil. So I would go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website, mobot.org, and see what the, you know, see your possibilities. But you're probably looking more so, as I said before, at, uh, There are some ornamental grasses that will, you know, grow in a a wet soil. There are things like uh, even iris, Japanese iris, not the classic flag iris, but Japanese iris, Siberian iris, mainly the Japanese iris grow in wet soils. So there are things that will grow there, but that's not going to be in the same sort of mode as a classic lawn would be.
10: Okay. All right. I'll
3: check that out. Thank you, Michael. Yep. Uh, And Mike Miller, this is me. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have phone lines open, and we'll be back after these messages.
2: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX.
3: Yes, folks, take a look outside. Oh, I wish it was sunny, but it is sunny, but it's still gray and cloudy, but uh, the temperatures are getting to be perfect for this time of year. Let's head over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim.
1: After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, you are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported
2: by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois.
6: Like, um I, ha- I have uh, some uh, boxwoods that have been in the ground for probably about 30 years. Oh. And, um, you know, I trim them probably, oh, five, six, seven times over the summer as they grow. And they're shaped real nice, but they've gotten to be too tall. They're about four foot tall. Um, would I be able to cut those, you know, back to like maybe two foot tall. And if I do, I'm sure it's just going to be sticks, you know, but, but will that come back as, you know, the leaves eventually or no?
3: Uh, it's going to be a roll of the dice where they're going to be able to, because you're going to cut them back and the stems that and twigs that remain may the buds that are along those, you know, twigs, they're, they're probably have no foliage on them now at all. Because you yeah, know the boxwood they, in the center has you know nothing, and so right and that's the that's
6: that's the way they are exactly
3: right exactly that's what that's how they grow, but whether there's gonna the buds that are going to be remaining that will be now fully exposed are still going to be viable is going to be iffy. I got gotcha.
6: you. Okey doke. Well, I'll uh, keep my fingers crossed. See what happens. Right
3: yeah it's a yep. it's an unfortunate thing. You have plant material that does very well and you're very happy with it, but uh sometimes mm-hmm. it just overgrows a space
6: yeah yeah, okay, Mike. thanks a lot,
3: sure and now let's go to Karen's yard. Hi, Karen. Hi, Mike. How are you Good? Good. Enjoy listening
15: to your program. Um, I my question is a little similar, I guess, to the last question. I have an azalea that desperately needs to be cut back. It's been cut back before. So my first question is: um, is what? What's the best time to do that?
3: That's going to be right after it finishes flowering.
15: Oh, okay. I thought that I heard that it was supposed to be in the spring. So, um, well, then, I then, get that.
3: I don't know which variety this is but if it's a spring blooming one then you're going to prune it, you know, in the spring.
15: So after it blooms. Okay, right. that's and and that's the blooms, not just the greenery, just the blooms, correct? Right, exactly, the flowers. <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect. And then my next question is am I so am, it's really long and leggy and it takes up a lot of space. So I was looking to cut it back pretty drastically. Can I do that after
3: it flowers
15: or should I just like take off the part, the flowering part?
3: Yeah. If you cut them back too much, then they don't recover. I mean, they're kind of marginally hardy for here, you know, unlike the boxwood, but uh, they are still real touchy. And if you cut them back to where it's basically just sticks and stems and things like that, you're not going to get anything out of them. Oh boy.
15: Yeah, I was looking to move it, but where I want to move it to is not um a great area um soil-wise. So um I guess I'll just um take my chances after um it finishes flowering and go from there. Right. I mean, you can always improve the soil. <laughs> I, I okay <laughs> maybe i'll maybe I'll do that yeah it's just uh unfortunately the area that I really wanted to move it into it's had um like been a an area that has it's in the front of the house and it's mostly had like rocks and things yeah. like that in it that type of area, so it would mean you know digging down. And I've been here for well over 30 years, so it's you know digging down under the to get down to decent soil, right. or can I just add soil, get the majority of the top rocky area um, off, and then um, add some good soil to it?
3: Just so this the rocks that are there, like our brown, like uh, river bottom rocks and things like that. If they're the white stuff, the limestone, then. No, it's not going to work whatsoever. If it's just regular brown rocks, then you can certainly do that. You'd be creating a raised bed.
15: Okay, yeah, we've just – it it is the white stuff, so that was purely for decorative purposes that we put it on there. So maybe I'll think about it and and try to find a different place in the backyard um, where I can put it. I just – I love it. Um, It's just – it's overgrown everything <laughs> numerous times. So, And it's right alongside my steps with a railing on it. So, you know, it's not got a lot of room to grow, but it sure does,
3: you know, come back all of the time. All right. Well, great. Well, good luck. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time. I sure. appreciate it. And let's go to Rayson. Rayson, how are you?
9: Doing great, sir. Great show. I enjoy it every morning. Um, Mike, a question seems like it's a boxwood third question for you. Uh, I kind of most of the information you shared with the other callers, but my, I have globe boxwoods that I transplant. Actually, my wife and I got them from a friend. They Last year they were amazing, green foliage. Uh, the ones in front of the house tend to be on the shaded area most of the day, so they're perfectly beautiful dark greens, the globes in the backyard, mainly in the sun, they're kind of starting to get brownish, you know, and I'm I'm kind of feeling like I'm going to lose them. And I'm wondering
15: if there's any way we can save them.
3: Uh, If they're headed downhill, it may just be a factor. that They are, you know, exposed in the situation that they're in. But a lot of the broadleaf plant materials, you know, be it boxwood or whatever, you want them Suffered damage because of that early season cold weather we had. So it might just be an aesthetic thing where the f- the leaves that are brownish are going to fall off. But uh, if it's not, you know, major damage, and it's not uh, if they've been there for several years and they've been healthy up to this point, I would say just leave them alone. Let the foliage fall off. That's going to fall off, and then kind of hope that uh, some new growth is going to begin.
9: Yes, sir. Thank you so much for your time. Love what you share with us in St. Louis. Let's keep going, sir.
3: Oh, thank you. <laughs> I greatly appreciate it. And uh, that's probably going to be our last call of the day, but uh, I think I'll be back next week. <laughs> anyway, so Mike Miller, Marsh Garden Hotline. I greatly appreciate everybody for calling in through all these years. It's been amazing how long I've been doing this. It's kind of incredible. And you never know when you start doing something how long it's going to last. But, uh, wow, the Garden Hotline rules as far as you are concerned. Thank you, folks.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue.